The Free for All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, Pavan Brach is here, serial entrepreneur in marketing tech and real estate development and a part-time farmer. Michelle Morrow is a teacher and uh, winner of the People's Voice Award. Deb Hutton is here, former advisor to two Ontario premiers, now in private practice. Good morning to you all, and let's actually take advantage of the fact that uh, there's at least one person on the panel who has worked on an election campaign, is actually working on one right now, should be disclosed. Um, but Olivia Chow cementing her majority, and less and less people are undecided, more and more people are going for Olivia Chow. Um, it's not that I'm opposed to Olivia Chow, it's just I don't know anybody, Deb, who's voting for her, so I don't know where these people are. Well, I am opposed to Olivia Chow, and I will just say, if people don't wake up to what she is all about in this city, we are going to have a disastrous four years, in my humble view. I can't explain it. I've been involved in politics, John, for a very long time. Uh, I did think, once people started paying attention after the long weekend, as we got closer, that people would do what they did the last time she ran, and that is realize that she is going to hike your taxes. She won't even tell you how much she's going to hike your taxes. So it should be scary in the first place, let alone scarier that she doesn't even <laughs> want to tell you how much it is. So I am, full disclosure, working with Anna Bailau. Uh, I believe she's the right candidate for it. But man, I cannot explain this particular phenomenon. I realize it's entirely anecdotal, but Michelle Morrow, one presumes that if uh, 38% of the population is voting for Olivia Chow, then some of my friends would tell me I'm voting for Olivia Chow. I haven't come across anybody who's voting for Olivia Chow. Yeah, I feel the same way. I don't have a ton of friends who live in Toronto, but the ones that I do have, none of them uh, want to vote for her or even understand why she's running. So it's difficult to assess. Uh, is it just because it's name recognition? People are quickly being interviewed or they're taking a poll and they just see names that they recognize and they say that's who they're voting for. Are they actually going to vote for her? I hope not. Um, I think we need a change in office and I don't think she's the change that we need. But you know what? When it comes right down to it, we get the people in office that we deserve. Pop and Brach, maybe this will lead to a case study about how you can run for office and keep your head down and not come out with all that much politics policy and still triumph. She's got no policy other than, as as has been discussed, she's going to raise the taxes on the rich. Rah, rah, rah. Here we go, San Francisco. Um, you know, so that's the scary thing. And, uh, you know, I, I for me, the issue needs to be who's promising to get what done. And she's obviously doesn't have a lot of content around what she's going to get done. But what, what really amazes me is that she is, the, you know, the leading candidate, and she's promising that if she's democratically elected mayor of North America's fourth largest city, that she won't use her powers to get things done. So in business terms, she wants to be the CEO of the fourth largest city in North America, but leave it to the board of directors to run things. So I, I don't even know why we're talking about it. When you elect a PM, uh, they have a mandate, they get things done. When you elect a premier, it's the same thing, but she's saying, no, I'm not going to do that. So it, it, to me, Anna Bailau or some of the others are, are forming up and obviously, hopefully one of them is going to stand up and say, I am the alternative and then and then things will change. But I do hope it changes soon. Jerry Agar says he's going to launch his show by explaining why he's not outraged over Paul Bernardo being transferred to a medium security prison. Uh, Pavan, let me start with you on this one. I get it, and in the past I've had to defend, for example, people who are found not criminally responsible, people who get out on parole after a long time in jail for a horrible crime. Um, I'll defend that, because that's how the system works. I don't get 
why Paul Bernardo got transferred to a lesser security prison, and also why it was done in secret. They didn't tell the families of the victims until afterward. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense because typically you're 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 shifting people down to those kinds of inst- you know the medium security and minimum security with the hopes of some form of rehabilitation. But I think I think we've all decided the courts have decided that this isn't this isn't the game plan for this guy. So, you know, why we're allowing him to be moved into an environment where there are going to be at medium security other sexual offenders who in fact will one day be released. Yeah. And why are we allowing him to mingle with them just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Deb Hutton, uh, I mean, I guess the the big focus of our discussion this morning is really that nobody can explain why this would happen in the first place. Yeah, and and if someone explained that his level of security or his level of freedom is exactly the same, and maybe the reason they moved him is because his life was in danger, which is very possible, uh, then maybe you might feel slightly better about it. And I don't know, maybe that will be Jerry's take after 9 o'clock. Here's what outrages me, though. One, they told the families, the victims, after he was moved. And I think that's a pretty important principle that that you have to be open with the victims and you have to inform the victims of this horrific, horrific individual's movements. And secondly, the, the quotations around why they're not telling us things is his privacy rights. I'm sorry, Paul Bernardo does not get privacy rights after what he did. I am so sick and tired of people who have rights over the the French and Mahaffey families, come on. I will say, Marco Mendicino, the the Liberal Minister of Public Safety, his response was exactly what it should have been, so kudos to him, and he says he's going to get answers, and I hope he does. Yeah, Michelle Morrow, I'd agree with Deb entirely. I don't even get the privacy rights. Uh, He is in the custody of His Majesty the King. He is not just some private citizen who's being shuttled around. Yeah, I thought at some point you lost that right to privacy. But I, I think what Deb said is exactly right. You, This might have been for, this might move might have made sense for a whole bunch of reasons. But the fact that it seems to be have been done under a, clou- a cloud of darkness and a secrecy is what's making it worse. This is an example of how coming forward and saying why you're doing something, especially with a prisoner as well known as Paul Bernardo, would have saved them so much hassle. It's just the fact that it looks bad whether or not it actually was bad. Jerry Agar is arguing that the last thing conservatives should do is take advice from liberals, but I actually have always found Chantal Hébert to be an extraordinarily thoughtful political writer, and frankly, I don't know what her political leanings are. Uh, But let me start with somebody who has worked in conservative circles, Deb Hutton. Uh, What do you make of Chantal Hébert saying that basically Justin Trudeau and company should be on the ropes, but it's because Canadians aren't that warm and fuzzy on Pierre Polyev that he's he's not taking any ground? Well, you and I have a very different perspective on Chantal Hébert, John, so I'll just leave it at that. I don't think she's uh, particularly insightful when it comes to conservative politics. That being said, um, uh, Pierre has not done what he needs to do. And and I'm with Jerry. That doesn't mean you move to the center or you, you, know, you move closer to liberals at all. But I do think that he has been over the top in not speaking on, in particular, affordability issues and some of those big issues, crime being one of them as well. I mean, today's a perfect example of where he should be out talking uh, about the Bernardo thing. I don't think he's done a good job connecting with those of us who are not rabid right-wingers on the side. 
social side, but are economic and fiscal conservatives. And I think that is increasingly the bulk of people in uh, in who, who want to vote conservative in places like Ontario and other places. I will say the other thing that is helping Justin Trudeau, quite frankly, is Jagmeet Singh. I mean, conservatives like when the NDP eke away at the other side of the liberals, and then we can eke away heavily at the right. Uh, Jugmeet has been a disaster. The party should dump him. And I think that is causing part of the problem. The last point quickly is the bloc in Quebec, because mm-hmm. Pierre is not appealing to them, is actually, um, you know, taking Strengthening. Votes. Exactly. So there you go. Um, okay, Michelle Morrow, it is also arguable that uh, at this juncture in his early political career, when he was on the opposition benches, people were already saying Justin Trudeau was in over his head. He would never be prime minister. So maybe people are pronouncing a death sentence on Pierre Polyev, uh, maybe more out of because they wish it were true. Maybe. Um, I do feel like the unless the Liberals dump Trudeau, I feel like there's a shift that is waiting to happen, similar to when um, Chrétien was leaving the party. It just felt like that shift was coming. But I understand the hesitant about Polyev. I have voted Conservative in the past, and I cannot bring myself to vote for him because I need to know that my Prime Minister is not going to sink to the lowest common denominator. I need to know that my Prime Minister is going to stand up and... Uh, take the higher ground at times, as opposed to just wanting to sink it to everyone around him, which is what I feel that Polyev does every single time. Pavin, last word on this file? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, all of us want an alternative. Uh, we, you know, that's what makes a great country, and and uh, an alternative to Justin Trudeau is is obviously in demand at this time. But you know, this guy, Polyev, has all the charm of a tax col- of a bill collector, which in fact was the only job that he ever had in life. Uh, was working as in collections for Telus, and 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 this is the guy that wrote it. You know, won a ten thousand dollar essay contest for saying there should be term limits for politicians, and he's in his seventh term now and living large, as as Charlie Angus tells us. So I I think, I think uh, you know Chantel has a good point. I I would also say that she hasn't talked about Ontario, and maybe that's part two of the article because it's obvious that Doug Ford is not supporting uh, Polyev, and and that's going to be a significant issue for him uh, in the nine hundred five area, not having the Ford machine behind him, probably because Ford wants his job later. But I think that is a that is a second a significant second part of of the of what's to come. And I would say, if I was giving them advice, which they're not taking, uh, Doug Ford is a model for any conservative leader. I think the new 2.0 Doug Ford, a sort of bumptious uncle, plays so much better than where he was early in his politics and where I think Polyev finds himself now. Um, let me ask you about this uh, study that was done in the United States. I can't imagine it's very different in Canada although we do have more social programs. But a new survey finds people are more afraid of running out of money in their later years than they are of death. Uh, Michelle Morrow, you're the young person on the panel. Maybe this isn't much of a concern for you at the moment. Oh, my God. Every time you say that, I'm, like, so happy. (laughs) But I'm really not... I just sound like a kid. Um, but no, I fully understand this. This is, um, I, I'm uh, I'm a part-time worker and I also work for myself a little bit. Uh, my husband's in the military, so our future pensions are not great. So I understand this fear a lot. And it's so hard to save up because life is costing so much more right now. I'm not trying to make a swan song, but I do understand that struggle. And that is a huge fear. I look at what I will be able to provide for my children education wise to help them and what I hope to be able to survive on with my husband and I. But I also know that in my future, I probably couldn't, I can't live at a place where you see the ads for retirement homes where it costs six to eight uh, grand a month. That's something that will not be in my future. And I just hope that I have enough that I will not be a burden on my children. Uh, Deb, last thoughts? 
I mean, not last forever. But. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, I fear death far more than running out of money because at least if you're not dead, there is hope. There you go. Thank you all. Good to have you. Michelle Morrow, Deb Hutton, and Pavan Brach. That's a nice way to end, isn't it? Okay. I just want to, I told the financial planner, I just want to stay out of the cat food. Uh, my thanks to Joe Cristiano and Nick Mirano. Thank you for all the very lovely greetings. And I'm going to go off and try to enjoy my day. Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.